everyone to our CISO live event, a webinar where we've established a panel of experts and Rob um, to, <laughs> to answer your questions um, about cybersecurity. We've had quite a few submitted already, so we're going to get to those uh, here in just a moment. But I just wanted to briefly introduce our panel or allow our panel to introduce themselves. Uh, with Synamics, the founder and CEO, we have Ayal Ayashiv. Did I get that close? Okay. Yeah, you got it right. Thanks. If you'd like to say a few words uh, to introduce yourself, please, sir. Yeah, so uh, thank you so much. Uh, Ayal Ayashiv, founder and CEO of Synamics, uh, an AI-based network visibility solution and a newly partner, partner with uh, Stealth ISS. Very excited about this opportunity. Well, glad to have you. And next we have Philip Kohler. Uh, good day. Uh, I'm currently doing consulting work. I've served as a CIO, CISO, both working in government and commercial systems, and I'm happy to be here today. Well, glad to have you, Philip. And we also have Shane Markley. Hey guys, thanks for the time. Uh, <clears throat> Shane Markley, currently uh, SE with Palo Alto Networks, but also a certified uh, CISO. Uh, looking forward to working with everybody. All right. And then from Stealth Group, we have our Queen Bee, ruler of all things, and self-proclaimed geek, Dasha Deckworth. <laughs> Hi, everyone. Thanks, thanks for the intro, Todd. Uh, yeah, I, I am a geek. I love security, very passionate about it, and excited to be on this panel to uh, to share some of the insights that uh, that we have and uh, answer the questions. Thanks for having us. Glad, glad we've done this. And, and as I jokingly said, we've got Rob, who I typically drag up from the basement um, and allow him to speak every once in a while. Rob Davis is our CEO of Stealth Group. So go ahead and introduce yourself, Rob. Uh, you just did it, and thanks for well. being out of the place. So, uh, yeah, been doing this for, for quite some time, uh, IT and IT security, so happy to help. That's what we're here for. So give us your best questions, ladies and gentlemen, please. All right, so just to, to reiterate, this is a very casual event. Um, our goal is to answer your questions and make our uh, our panel available to gets their input on various topics. Of course, COVID-19 is going to be one of the first things because a lot of people have been asking questions about that. If you have questions, I will repeat, you can go to slido.com, enter number 87472. That gives you access to our question entering system where we will be able to then add your questions to the questions we've already been submitted. So with that being said, uh, let's go ahead and get started. Um, so the first question panel that we've gotten, go ahead, I'm sorry. Uh, the first question that we've gotten are what, what are the biggest cybersecurity threats right now during COVID-19 that you're seeing? I'll, I'll, I'll give it a go. So from what I've seen, I mean, everybody or a lot of people are working remotely and um, having companies, I think part of that is part of planning where the companies did not necessarily have the right tools in place to send their employees off and work remotely. So I think the challenge here is a lot of folks are using their own home computers where the kids have their games and not really the right protection, working on 
company systems and company files, company data, or connecting into the uh, to, via VPN to the corporate network. So I think that is a big problem for companies in general. And the other also is just like any any emergency or any anything critical is people are become desperate. Uh, here we've got so many unemployed people. They are looking for opportunities to to research and uh, whenever they get an email about how to uh, you know refinance or anything like that they of course will look into it and there's a lot of hackers out there that just spamming um, even us on the corporate side we've seen it we've got so many spams of hey do you want refinance do you want a loan do you want this basically to they take advantage Nothing's of this playing right now and uh and people, if they're not savvy enough, they just um, click on it, get a virus, get connected to the corporate network, and just pretty much get uh, get systems infected. Uh, that's that's what I've seen so far. Okay. Uh, any other panel members have anything to add? Oh, well, there's still the same actors in terms of industrial espionage and state actors. So if your company is involved in biomedical research or other areas. Um, you know, there's still significant threat there. Then if your workspace is, your workers are dispersed, uh, there's potentially an easier in with malware. So it really calls for a time to reassess your risk, overall risk assessment and risk posture possibly, and then focus on the top two or three things because we can't play whack-a-mole with everything. So a good risk assessment and periodic review is essential. Yeah, plus, plus one on uh, Phillips and Dasha's comments. Um, you know, we've seen a lot of, uh, you know, phishing and malware uh, distribution using you know, COVID-19 themes. Um, you know, phishing emails subject like uh, latest coronavirus updates, health advisories, um, business continuity plan announcements. Um, and then, you know, back in March, uh, did some research based on COVID-19 domain names. Um, and, uh, you know, I think mid towards the end of March, there was around 100,000 uh, different domains registered referencing things like, uh, you know, COVID and uh, virus and corona. Um, but, uh, you know, aside from that as well, um, reporting of uh, malicious COVID-19 threat maps. Uh, so appearing to be uh, legitimate uh, threat maps showing the distribution of the COVID-19 virus, but actually embedding malware within them as well. There is another angle um, that um, is being a great issue these days. It's the visibility of the mid-mile. So basically, as Dasha mentioned, many employees working remotely, uh, but not only the endpoints are the uh, weakest links, link. So uh, that's also uh, a concern uh, that is being evolving. And uh, yeah, that's, that's something to, that needs to be addressed and, and pay attention to. Well, and, and the next three questions actually kind of tie together. Um, so it's, how can I improve my security posture during COVID-19? Um, and obviously, because of the remote workforce, what are some of those best, best practices for protecting the remote work workforce? And is any of the home networking gear secure enough for businesses? So they, I, I think those all kind of tie together. Um, so I'm going to throw them out that way and, and let's see what our experts have to say. 
you know, I help, you know, I think we've all become the IT support for our local office at home for our students and folks that are teachers. <laughs> and, and then, you know, I've got friends that run businesses, so I get pulled in, I get the same kind of question. And, um, and simply what I tell them is that, you know, don't use the free antivirus malware or free antivirus detection, right? Um, look, there's some things on the market that are based more on behavior that do a much better job than signature-based. Also for small business, there's a couple of firewalls that are, again, behavior-based and do great at screening out and are um, can either be remotely managed or you can get somebody local to help manage a small firewall. And then if you're looking at your business, um, uh, it might be a time to upgrade to a mesh network. Uh, even in your home, if you've got folks spread out through the house, then that low Wi-Fi signal can become a problem. Um, some of those offer additional security features beyond what you just get from your uh, service provider, from Fios or Comcast or whoever. Um, so there's, there's a number of ways, easy ways, incremental and not huge costs that you can improve uh, your small business or even working at home to take a look at some of the newer technologies that are out there and do a better job than some of the traditional stuff you may be accustomed to. One thing I would like to add to this, I mean, it's in, in general, my view is what or to the question, what do you do now? Well, I think it's always best to avoid a, a ad hoc approach. So I think yep. we have to go back into planning. Um, as a business, I think you should, or in some industries, it's required that you have good planning, business continuity, and kind of look forward as a business. So it would, um, I know it doesn't really answer the question as in what Philip said, but before you get to this emergency situation as a business, if you have a, even a ad hoc, well, not ad hoc, even if you have a plan that gives you a you know limited number of VPN connections and additional laptops that you can distribute to your key personnel, especially finances, HR, somebody that um, you know where you are required to have really good security in place, then that is already one step forward. So I think at this point we should all take a look at how we got into the situation, how we're dealing with it, and maybe once we get out of this, take a look at, okay, what have we learned out of this as a company, as individuals, what have we clicked on? What did we miss? How can we take some additional steps going forward to avoid the scrambling and um, hoping everything will work out? Okay. Anyone else? Well, Dasha, the you know the continuity of operations planning or COOP um, is a key function. So even if you don't have like the pandemic COOP, and how many how many businesses did, right? But if you're in if you're on the East Coast, you've got continuity operation planning probably for hurricane. In San Diego, you have fires and smoke. Um, so it would be actually to take those continuity of operation plans and take out what you can use because you still have remote workers and resources. It's just usually the scale for this is a lot larger. So use what, use what you've already developed. Somebody's already thought about this potentially. So you know, build on that 
that thought process. And even like any plant, I'm an old military guy. So it's like you develop a plan and a concept. Now, when you get to contact, you know, that plan disappears because situation is different. But having gone through that thought process and that, that planning, you can adapt. The key thing is adapting to the new situation, not having the perfect plan going into it. Yeah, 100% agree. Yeah. And this is yeah, Dr. I mean, Dr. Hollis. So I would add this, that a lot of people working from home now, you guys mentioned VPNs, but also they should start looking at the NIST framework, for example, you know, making sure the passwords are the correct length. And also there's a NIST framework for working from home. So while a lot of people are working from home or a lot of people going to the coffee shop, you always have to be mindful of security aspect of it because if you're not secure, if you're logging into your particular servers and you don't have that VPN or strong passwords, you can be breached. And a lot of people don't realize that how, as you guys mentioned earlier, a lot of phishing is going on now with the COVID or with other issues. And people got to be mindful at all times that they can be breached and make sure you have that extra level of, of security. Valid point. And so when you when you do when you look at your current risk environment, those things you need to look at, you know, as you mentioned, VPN, um, potentially two-factor authentication, uh, rolling it out to some key personnel. You don't roll, you know, it's it's looking at, at what applies appropriately. So there's less expensive two-factor authentication systems out there, but the FIDO Alliance, for instance. Um, but look at your environment, look at your users, look at and and. Tailor an approach, just don't start rolling out tools. That, and also, even if you have to roll out tools, it does not always mean that you have to roll it out across the entire enterprise. And I think that's where a lot of companies are afraid of talking about security or not really wanting to get into this discussion is because they see security as a cost, which, yeah, to some extent it is, but it also helps you to run a business. But just because you buy a tool like multi-factor authentication and you have 50 users as a small business, for example, it does not mean you have to roll it out to every single one, every single user or every single application. There's always what we call the golden nuggets. It's um, you, you identify what is your critical asset? What is your critical application? Is it um, usually it's finances, HR, payroll, um, maybe some um, client projects that you're working on, research and development documents. So you can always, no matter what the solution is or what you do, you can always scale it down to adapt to your organization. It does not have to be expensive, does not have to be complicated, but you need to protect what is, as a business, what is your critical, what is critical for you to stay in business. Yeah, it's a great point and, uh, you know, great call out by uh, Dr. Eric for the, you know, NIST guide for teleworking. Uh, the CIS, uh, Top 20 Critical Security Controls, also has a guide for uh, CIS teleworking and small office uh, network security guide. And then also they have uh, information based on uh, four different CIS security controls that apply to securing your home network and uh, piggyback off of what Dasha was saying as well is you think of the, the critical security control one and two are mainly based on um, asset and software inventory. So determining, uh, you know, what you have 
from a both a hardware uh, asset perspective and then a software asset perspective as well. And then from there, you can determine you know, what's the best controls to place around those specific assets. Okay. All right, so uh, kind of following in, still in line with the COVID-19, um, and, and, and I know Rob, I'd, I'd appreciate his chiming in because he was very proactive in his response to COVID-19 um, when, when he made some decisions for us as Stealth Group. What should we expect in the next six to 18 months in cybersecurity best practices? as a result of COVID-19 and the changes that it has occurred, has, have occurred already in the business landscape? Wow. <clears throat> I know you're big on trends and following things and, and being okay. able to make decisions on predictions. So, so, so I think the best thing, I, mean, I like to take positives. So I think the virus and the reaction to it has opened some folks' eyes and, and help educate some folks. You know, the, the uh, agenda item of cybersecurity, it, it's gone up the agenda, it's, it's not top, but certainly folks, um, that there's a lot more press coverage purely because folks are working remotely and they don't necessarily have enterprise level security protection. So folks are learning that not just the vocabulary of, uh, of Dr. Fauci, but also that, you know, they're, they're learning of picking up a few words about I've got friends calling me saying, hey, what's a VPN? Things like this. So all of a sudden there's this raised awareness that by the end of this, I hope folks will at least have recognized that they don't have to be passive victims. It's very easy to, to just put a couple of relatively cheap things in place to protect themselves and their, their information assets. Longer term, um, I, you know, I don't think anyone can look at that right now. I think for now, I'm just encouraged to see that folks are picking this up and thinking about it and, and you know, talking about it and, and making decisions, whereas they were not, I didn't see that previously so much. Okay. Anyone else have anything to add to that? Well, I think we've seen with Twitter and Google, you know, there's some companies are going to move, you know, even post this activity to a more work-at-home workforce. So I think that's going to push a trend. You know, they're looking at all real estate in major cities where they may have a decline in, in real estate usage because some companies are more thinking long-term more work at home beyond the next 12 or 18 months. Yeah, fully agree. There was, I think it was Business Insider quoted, you know, only, it, it was about the, the, the difference in working from home previously and now, it, it was about double. So say there were kind of 20% working from home, the, the expectation is there'll be at least double those working from home going forward permanently. Um, you know, I, I know a lot of folks in the city of London, that's there. <laughs> um, and, you know, real estate prices, uh, uh, commercial real estate prices in, uh, in the city have just uh, fallen through the floor because, um, you know, it's not, where, it's not a matter of when the virus is over, getting folks back to work. Folks don't want to go back to work. They've, they've seen that actually working from home is a good thing. Their employers, getting over the trust issue, their employers have seen an increase in performance in general, I would say. And I know there's a honeymoon period and that, that will plateau out, but I, I couldn't agree more. I think working from home is a, is a proper thing now and it needs to be treated accordingly. 
and and I think in the next 12 to 18 months after all this is over and just piggybacking on what Rob said and uh, and, and and Philip that everything will go remote or will stay remote is in that case security will increase and will probably be even mandated more than it is now. I mean, let's take a look at, for example, CMMC. CMMC is, is the new requirement that came out from DOD to make suppliers and vendors to the DOD compliant for security, which is similar to what was before, except now it's no longer self-assessment. You actually have to get a third party in to validate it. And if you don't have it, you will not be able to bid or provide any services to the DOD. Now, if you consider, let's take CMMC as an example, the defense companies, in some cases, they probably will have people working remotely. Now, how will you really take control over what they have, even if you give them corporate laptops and they connect via VPN and they have encryption, you still have the risk of, well, you're working from the living room. Uh, who all is in the living room with you? Um, are, are you traveling? Are you in a hotel? Are you, you know, because working from home is working from anywhere. You can go to the beach, you can have your laptop there. Your employer is not going to know unless, um, as long as you do your job. So if the job is done, you can really be anywhere in the world. And then the question also becomes, you traveling with a corporate laptop from a defense company. Can you take it even to Canada? Can you take it to Europe? I mean, it's suddenly this whole security will become more than just a technology and VPN firewall endpoint. It's become a process, it's become a geography solution, it will become physical questions that will need to be addressed. So I think that will become a lot more um, a lot more of a challenge for a lot of companies to adhere to all. Uh, that's a great point, because I think some of the features that are offered identity access management systems and so forth, like geofencing, right? Yeah. So that if you go into an area that's not safe, and that's multi-level based on, you know, kind of your profile, whether you're an administrator or, a, you know, normal office user, that those type of controls like geofencing are going to become more important. 100%, yeah. I think that uh, the threat landscape will evolve based on uh, the telecommuting. There is a lot of uh, different articles that talk about deepfake, how to, how you know criminals are using uh, your facial expressions in order to um, you know make them look like you and sound like you in order to get sensitive information. And you see like uh, some initiatives that uh, focusing on these areas as well. So it's remote connectivity from one end, but uh, how can I make sure that uh, my identity is not being stolen by a bad actor? And uh, this is another angle. I know I'm throwing the conversation to a different uh, um, area, but uh, I think that's something that will evolve in the next 18 months. Uh, how you make sure that all those telecommuting uh, uh, tools that are available out there uh, are secured all the way, even if you take the call from, uh, from Europe, for instance. Also, I would add that even today, we're talking on Zoom. When the COVID first started, everyone was on Zoom. Zoom did not have the proper security. Now, Zoom, they added the proper security encryption to make sure that, you know, collectively, people that are the organization that are utilizing Zoom, they're secure. So the next 12, 18 months, 
It's going to be Zoom. It's going to be WebEx. But the thing is, making sure when you're using those tools that you are secure, so you can't be you can't be breached from that perspective. Right. So, I guess you know we've been talking a lot about cybersecurity and the the effects of COVID nineteen, um, and I, I believe businesses are now. This question says, how can we determine our cybersecurity budget? And and I think there's a lot of factors that go into that. But I, I'd be curious to hear what y'all have to say about you know whether they have one already. What things do they need to consider now? If they if they really haven't considered it, what are those important things that they need to start with? That that's a tough question, and I don't think there's a hundred percent answer that brought a a number. Uh, if you do research, there's usually a guideline of uh, you know anywhere from ten to thirty percent of your IT budget should be allocated for cybersecurity. That number fluctuates, fluctuates, of course. But I think it, it really depends on, I mean, just going from small business to large business to different industries, you will have different requirements that need to be addressed. You will have different infrastructure, so you can't really put a number out there. Um, I think <clears throat> I, I would, uh, the approach we always do with our clients is identifying what is really critical. What, and that goes back to disaster planning, business impact analysis of what do you need as a business to stay in business? Identify those things first. And that's not just technology, that's also the data that could be paper, that could be processes, key, key personnel, know-how. So it's not just the tangible items, but really the, the, soft, the soft skills and the know-how that you have in your company as well. Um, and once you have that, then you can take a look at it. What do I need? For example, finance server. If you need the finance server only to access every two weeks to do payroll, then it's a complete different requirement to make sure it stays online and is available than if you have it in AWS or in the cloud somewhere and somebody else is taking care of it to be online and protected. Um, if you, for example, have a tool that already has encryption in there and it meets, let's say, uh, DOD standard or data privacy requirements, then you're good. Um, if you don't have it, if you do it on a spreadsheet, then you will probably need to buy an encryption tool for your hard drive where you have it and or your database. So it's... I don't know, it's, it's hard to say. You, you really have to identify first what is it you're trying to protect and then go from there. So, so for me, it's a, it's a risk versus cost discussion. But you need to understand your risk. You need somebody to come in and take a look and, and give an opinion on uh, the riskiest, riskiest there is to your business. And from there, you, you tend to end up with a shopping list of things that you need to do to improve your attack posture um, and from there you make a, a decision you know risk versus cost what are the things that you can do biggest bang for your buck quickly uh, to, to improve your security posture that's, that's the way I'd answer that question. I, I've worked with, uh, with ISO 2700 information security management system which provides a framework for this um, NIST has also provided guidance in terms of 
security management frameworks. Uh, and some of these can be adopted. They're generally, you know, sized for larger scale organizations, but you should be able to scale them down for mid-size and smaller groups. Yeah, basically choose the questions that are relevant and appropriate to your organization at that, in, at that point in time. Yeah. And that, that, and if you start on that systems management approach, you know, it, it grows with you because you get better at looking at the risks in your environment and understanding it. So look at it as a, as a, you know, a growth process, right? Not an endpoint. Yeah, it's, it's an evolution for sure. <laughs> so, so typically when I know from my standpoint, when I'm talking to potential clients, there, there seems to be an imbalance between spending money on preventative security measures as opposed to detection and containment security. What can you give some insight as to that question as it, as it pertains to why is there an imbalance? I, I think you have to go back a few years ago or maybe a couple decades ago when security started to become a a topic where security was pretty much labeled as firewall. Well, have a firewall, have an antivirus. That's all to protect you from what is happening right now. Over the last, I'd say maybe 10 years, the tendency has changed from detection to identification prevention first. So you want to be ahead of the game. You don't want to the mentality has been changed from trying to fix the fire to let's prevent a fire first. And technology in that case, especially developments in AI have helped significantly with that. Uh, different feeds that you can get, um, indicators of compromise that you can feed into a firewall to show you those kind of things rather than, oh, you have a problem and now you have to react. So, um, those technologies, even though they're there, they're still in their infancy, or some of them are. They also are expensive, and then a lot of times they're also geared predominantly for the large enterprises. So if I'm a small business, I probably would not be thinking about getting an AI solution into my environment, because A, it takes a while to roll out, plus it's more targeted towards enterprise. So I probably will be forced from a budget question and maybe also from a know-how. How many IT people do I have on staff? What is their know-how? What is their capabilities to not necessarily go into those tools and be able to force just or be forced to just work with what I have? Is if I have a problem, I fix it, I react to it, and not look forward. So I would like to add to that. Uh, that basically the first thing to do is to look inside and see if uh, all the policies and uh, uh, all the security measures that uh, most uh, customers think they have in place uh, is basically what they have in place. And once they assess um, the, any hole in the network or any uh, misconfiguration of uh, one of their uh, um, security measures, uh, that's a good starting point. And to add to the uh, AI-based solutions, um, they're still at the, the beginning, um, but we believe uh, 
um, that's, and again, the group, when I say we, that uh, you need to trust technology. Um, and uh, the idea behind technology is to um, make uh, things more efficient, uh, both from a performance perspective, but also from a cost perspective. So if you can automate certain things in your organization, that's something that will definitely help uh, overcome some challenges when it comes to cyber uh, security risks on the assessment level and also on the defense level. Okay. Yeah, Dasha, I remember uh, like when you're going back, it's like we got hooked on defense in depth. And I think that's a lot of uh, where this um, preventative mindset comes from. Correct, and, yeah. And, and there just may not be the realization of you know, I still, I think I noticed some skepticism of AI and I, I'm, I have some skepticism built in. And where I've seen it work a little bit is, is already tied to a very good system with good algorithms. But if you try to throw like an AI label on top of something, beware. But there are behavior-based systems and other ways of approaching systems um, in your environment that, you know, that do um, detect and contain. And, and that can dovetail into border protection so you have a more comprehensive environment to because you know it's about balancing risk, risk not eliminating risk and no matter how well you make your boundary something's going to get in through that email or through a personal device so you need that detect and containment capability in your environment as well correct yeah and and the good thing is i'm i'm seeing um a lot of companies um that we especially at RSA, but also a lot of um, our partners that, that we work with that are already putting this automation in that um, is also targeted towards the small businesses, which is great because the, the small business really is the, the risk. It's, uh, if somebody wants to hack into a large, let's say, pharmaceutical company or defense company, they probably assume, and they're probably right, that they have the firewalls, the enterprise solution, the AI, everything that looks forward and reacts automatically. They probably have a 24-7 staff, but what the target is, is the third parties that connect to that defense contract or the pharmaceutical. And the weakest link. The weakest, exactly, the weakest link. So I'm, I'm really glad to see that there's technologies out there that use this automation and the AI and the algorithms to that, that are available for the smaller size companies as well to get them protected because it's you have to take a look at it at the whole holistic at cybersecurity but also the ecosystem the partners that collaborate the suppliers that uh, connect to to the networks the um, the, the freelancers the um, you know anything that um, the single sign-on solutions that are cloud-based you have to take a look from a big perspective. 360 degrees holistic So can I just underline that for our audience? Third-party risk is a thing. So you can do, you can look at your own internal systems and your attack surface and you can, you know, polish that up as, as best uh, you can for the money. Um, but don't forget to look at your third-party connections because if they are breached and you've, they've got a, a, an IP connection into your network, then, then you're likely next so do do pay close attention to your third-party connections and you know clearly um when we look at people process technology you know people are your first line of defense um that phishing email that that 
you know, <laughs> that's uh, that's the first place I would look if you're looking to improve uh, your overall um, defence posture. Make sure that your staff know um, courses are, are free. They take 10 minutes. Just raise their awareness and you'll find that uh, you'll sleep a little easier at night. And then in your environment also, you know, we're in the age of internet devices and internet of things. So your HVAC system, all your printers are computers now. Um, and most of the edge devices on internet of things that we're looking at implementing do have significant security capability, but it's the human part. Are those capabilities configured and running? And, and I think that goes back to the basic stuff that we still see when we do assessments. We still see, please do change the default passwords on any device. I mean, really, even if you get your 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 router from your from your service provider at home, yes, it comes with a preset password. Please do change that. If you, you know, simple things like that, it's you have you have to do it but it also then goes back to a security baseline for companies is how do you configure a server or a device what applications do you need on it which ones do you deactivate you have to have as a company a security baseline a gold image and stuff that you don't need remove it stuff that services that do not need to run Deactivate them. Is it a corporate laptop, in my opinion, if you have um, games on there, they should not necessarily be on there. And if you got Netflix on there, that usually stuff, I mean, a lot of stuff comes in pre installed on any laptop that you buy. Doesn't matter if you buy it private or as a company. And uh, a lot of the stuff can be removed and only run what you really need. And that will decrease your risk right there. Um, and if you don't have like experience in this, DISA implemented STIGs, baseline configurations for systems and so forth um, years ago. And there still are STIGs in place for standard you know, IT platform development and, and baselining. Uh, and those, those uh, standards are out there and you can modify for the, them in your, your environment. But it, rolling out that baseline without uh, extra services that, that have a risk, you know, it's like even... Uh, um, you know, how much we love Facebook. You know, I run that in a secure container when I run it. I don't let it talk to anything else. If we bring that back to COVID-19, right? So everyone at home is a network engineer now, right? Because their, Absolutely. their internet was uh, was a bit patchy. So they went and bought a brand new internet router and they configured it per the instructions and they got it working and they're all very happy and proud of themselves. But they left the default password on. So yeah, it's uh, it's... <laughs> Just bear that in mind, ladies and gentlemen. Hey, great point, all. Uh, I want to say that you mentioned earlier, I think it was you, Philip, and Dasha, you mentioned about the uh, third-party risk. You know, Target was breached because of the HVAC. You know, Target had great, they had great point-of-sale security. Yeah. However, they did not have security on the HVAC coming in, so that's how they were breached, and they lost millions. And it's very important that you do a risk assessment on your third-party vendor, and you sign it a service level agreement to make sure they are held accountable if something were to happen. And you may want to think about getting that cybersecurity insurance also depending on the value of your organization. That's a, that's a good point. Yeah, I mean, uh, third party, it's 
and I think it still comes down to know-how and understanding. A lot of companies just don't have the know-how, and I, I wish there would be something out there to, you know, maybe one website that would just say, here's your sticks or here's your standard configuration, because they're out there. That's free stuff. It's available. You don't have to reinvent it, so it does not have to be that complicated. And even third-party risk policies, sometimes it is, um, it is worth to just get a lawyer and have them draft something for you that, to make sure that you, you as a company, set the rules and the security baseline of who you permit to go and connect to your network and also what, how they need to behave, what they have currently installed. It's um, just like at home, you don't let anyone in that you don't know. You have certain, you do a, a face check. Why don't you do that as a company with third parties? Even your IT provider, your printing company, they want something in, yes, it works, but do they patch it? Do they manage it? Do they, did they deactivate all the services that are not needed? Those are the questions that you need to ask and you need to give the guidelines to your third parties, your suppliers, and tell them how you want them to behave in your network. And that's that's on us as business owners or as CISOs and not the other way around. I think an important point with the attorneys, and it just goes back, well, I used to work on a lot of deals for HP and, and EDS, and I would spend hours, sometimes days, working with the attorneys to help them understand the risks from a cybersecurity or IT perspective. So sometimes they're gonna need some help depending on their background. But I'm just putting that out there because uh, uh, not, all, not all attorneys are comfortable with our world. Sure. Well, and, and I, I know one of, the, one of the questions that came in uh, just to, or during the conversation today is addressing the risk from third party and supply chain attacks. And I know we've touched on it quite a bit here in this discussion already. Um, and, you know, I guess, what are, what are those additional things? So you've mentioned that it's your third party, it's, it's even like your HVAC system and, and all these other things, and then your supply chain. Is there any other things that, as a business owner, we need to consider? Can I jump in here real quick? So if, if, we're, if we're using, you know, even for smaller business, sometimes going to um, sort of AWS, for instance, right, for, for hosting, there's a piece that is too often missed. They just signed the agreement with a service provider, but there really needs to be a deeper discussion to make sure you understand. I think it's even tougher from a small business about the configuration and management. Who has what responsibilities? There needs to be a discussion about that. In a deal scenario, if I did a large deal with somebody, I'd spent a couple weeks working through the terms and conditions, yet we'll contract with Microsoft or Amazon, and there's a lot of details in there. There needs to be a discussion around those details and who has what responsibilities. That's, 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 a, very that's, good point. that's a great point. I did, I'd just like to add to that while we're talking about AWS. They, as part of their pitch to you, sell you what they call a secure solution, and it's very secure for AWS. But if, if you <laughs> uh, if you want and you should want those um, those security services protecting your data, it's an extra charge. <laughs> okay, yeah. so just 
be aware um, just because they're selling doesn't mean to say they, they package that and that's what you're about to receive as part of your your hosting be careful of that one a lot of right. folks can cool tell and and from a larger organization standpoint you don't just have to use your tools you can put virtual tools in that environment and report back to your sim there's all sorts of capabilities but it takes that extra effort yeah and, and the other thing is also what we need to keep in mind is third party i mean especially cloud people think okay I'm getting from AWS a secure environment. I'm going to put my application, my data in there. It's secure, but legally it's not. You as the business owner, the data that you have, you are legally responsible to protect it. So, and that's where it really comes in to 100% to Rob and to Philip to make, make sure you understand where the responsibilities are and what you have to do. Because patching, usually an application patching that you put on the host that you get from AWS or Azure or anywhere is the responsibility of you most of the time, unless you pay extra for it. And that is not really very well defined. And then even if something happens, legally as a company, you will be out there who's held responsible for the data that got compromised. It's not going to be AWS because that's just legally how it, how it has been. But so you still have to make sure that you protect the data, that you have your own encryption on the device, that you access, um, that you only allow people to access that need to have it. You, for example, don't allow export of data. You monitor the connectivity and the firewall, who comes in, what comes out, and all that. That's still your responsibility. So that's really... And I think that's, that's lacking a lot of understanding and education will be required for the, for the businesses to make sure that they understand that this is the case. Just because you move it to the cloud, it's, um, it's still your problem. Excellent, excellent points. Um, one of the questions, and, and we've talked about a lot of, you know, we, we talked about budgets, we talked about costs, um, but, there is there is another cost that companies can sustain if there is a data breach to occur and that's loss of brand confidence um how, how do y'all the panel see that as um, as an issue for them and and how does what y'all do in cybersecurity help with that i have an opinion or i have an observation so 10 years ago, if your bank was hacked, you would move your account immediately to another bank. Now, there's, there's almost, um, there's client apathy almost. It's okay, so my bank got hacked. Well, if I move it, that bank will just get hacked anyway. So, you know, the, the consumer behavior um, has changed. They, they just see this as, as part of you know the cost of doing business almost, and uh, and they're quite quite passive. That, that's my observation, and I just wanted to to actually share that with the panel and see if that resonated at all. I think it's almost. I just need to change my password again. Um, and I get you know like I, you've all got these these mails you know, and and somebody gets breached, and I get the offer of monitoring, but if Frankly, the, the company they choose is one I don't trust. Yeah, so, you know, um, 
Um, but but also there's there are there are monetary features to a breach now and reporting features and criminal uh, criminal action and fines and you know so there's this whole other piece of it other than the kind of the apathy that I think consumers uh, may have. Um, I, I I don't see a movement changing that, but the you know the landscape still has significant financial risk. And I think there are some companies that still, you know, don't want that that to be tinged. You know, RSA took a huge hit, you know, about 15 years ago. Um, so I, I think it has a place, and I think some of that discussions need to happen at the board level. You know, how important is it to protect your your brand, and how what's the risk in your IT environment from how you uh, how you sell, how you market. Um, and what risks you have. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. So, you know, board members are, are parts, parts of the general public too. You know, fear, uncertainty and doubt no longer sells. You have to, you have to come at it a different way. It's, it's about education and explaining and uh, selling the benefits. Um, yeah, so, so the whole FUD thing, that's, that's so last, uh, last decade. It's um, really now as business owners and CISOs in this space, we have to build a rapport with folks and, and share understanding exactly, you know, exactly what we're trying to do here um, to, to push that, that knowledge needle forward so folks recognize the benefits. But yeah, FUD uh, doesn't work anymore. Again, I would, add, I would add this, that from the corporate world, any organization is gonna to have to have the top-down approach and leadership especially the CEO, must do their due diligence to protect that brand. Because what's happening now is if an organization is breached, it's not just breached from the, the middleman perspective. Globally, it's breached. The question is, <clears throat> does from the cybersecurity perspective, does the executives, especially the CEO, do they embrace and they make sure from the organization that everyone has their mindset is for cybersecurity? Because if they do not, it doesn't matter whether the CISO, CIO, or whomever. If it's not coming from top down, organization wide, it's not going to be embraced from the cybersecurity perspective. You're right, and the CIO and CISO have a huge. If if the CEO doesn't understand, there's a lot of work that needs to be done to help that CEO understand and help the board understand. Yeah, I think. Uh, to to agree with uh, with all pretty much the consumer the general population I don't think they're going to be really impacted um, on or really take security and the brand name and all this into a lot of consideration anymore unless something really major happens that will impact everybody like um, outages critical infrastructure that's a big thing. Um, access to bank system, if the financial system, ATMs, all that bank system gets hacked and we can no longer have access to our money, uh, no electricity, no internet, if something like that happens, I think that's when the general population will wake up and start taking security um, important. At the corporate level, 100% um, it has to be top down. Um, unfortunately, CEOs don't really see that unless they are being forced to by regulations 
but then at the same time regulations also is just a slap on the hand get it done and i think it's part of us as security professionals to make executives understand the annual audit it's a snapshot it's a one point in time five minutes after the audit you may not be protected anymore so to bring bring it across security is a continuous 24 7 exercise that is part of business operations and everybody plays a role in it from executive all the way to the intern to the part-time to the cleaning lady to anyone in the organization that really is has to be part of it that's the only way you can you can push security out there and you can make people understand how it impacts them personally and how they can contribute and I think that's key and that's going to stay key for next probably until something really major happens and then we all become complacent again because yeah we fixed the problem and then we'll go again and then something major happens it would fix itself. We're back to cost versus risk for me so I, there was a question on LinkedIn yesterday about why is it that huge um, credit card uh, merchants um, are not PCI compliant because um, the cost of remediation uh, and getting to that PCI certification is more than just taking the fines. <laughs> and until that changes, it will stay the same. Um, to your point, Dasha, yeah, until a company has a, some horrific breach that really is revenue impacting, yes, CEOs currently, in my opinion, see CISOs as a scapegoat. Okay, you can take the blame for that one and I'll bring in another one and we'll, we'll do something slightly different. That's, that's the, the, the culture I see right now in companies between CEOs and CISOs. I, I, I'm opening that up. Does anyone agree with that? Nobody wants to speak up. So, yeah. No. <laughs> <laughs> well, we're all CISOs here to, to some extent. So, um, no, 100% agree. And it, it is but it comes down to i don't know who mentioned it earlier it's um comes down to if the ceo does not believe in cybersecurity, you as this if the ceo does not believe in security you as a CISO will have a really hard time to get something implemented to get the budget get the resources and make a change so it's not a question of if you will be hacked but when and yes the scissors then usually the answer is, well, I didn't have the tools, I didn't have the staff, I couldn't do this, I couldn't do that. So yeah, failed at job, and therefore scissors are just prone to move jobs fairly frequently, I would say. Not because it's their fault, it's because it's management not having the understanding and not giving the right tools, budget, and, uh, and know-how and resources to actually do their job right. Yeah, that, that was no disrespect to any CISOs anywhere, by the way. That was just an yeah. observation that, you know, you're kind of chief, chief scapegoat in some situations. Now, I've even seen um, companies that are so centrally managed uh, uh, and sometimes overseas, sometimes in the U.S., that you know, unless you're in that cent – everything goes up to a central hierarchy, right? It's not a distributed mode. And so the decisions take so long. and innovation isn't 
an asset. Innovation isn't a good thing. So it, it makes it doubly difficult, it, even, for the, even for the CEO in a ge geographical region. Um, and I see some of those folks in those environments change every 18 you know, months, two and a half years. Yeah. Um, so uh, it, management style plays a large part in this and leadership style. Well, I'm being respectful of time. We have reached our hour. Yes. Um, I greatly appreciate everyone that has attended. Thank you, special guests, our panel, uh, and their questions. We tried to get to almost everything. I think we touched on just about every question that was asked today. Um, obviously, there is a whole lot more discussion that's needed. So be looking for our next uh, CISO Live event. And be sure to submit your questions early so that we can make sure that uh, they get answered if we weren't able to, uh, to address them today. But well, we appreciate everybody's attendance. And again, thank you, panel.